What's up guys, this is Taking the Field with Stevie Mac, and on this episode, we're going to recap the PLL College Draft. So the Atlas had the number one pick last night, and they were presumed to have taken Michael Sowers. If you watched our draft preview show last week, I had Noah, Jordan, and Phil on to talk all things PLL College Draft. We all agreed that Michael Sowers was probably going to be that number one pick. But we were actually wrong. Instead, Ben Rubior opted to go with Jeff Teat out of Cornell. And the reasoning for this pick, they talked about it during the draft last night. The reasoning was that while Sowers would have been a great fit at X, and let's be honest, he would have been a great fit on any of these teams as he was then taken by the Water Dogs. But by taking Teat, that allows a guy like Eric Law to be back at home at X, where he spent all of 2019, if you remember back to that Atlas offense in 2019, and he played very, very well down there at X, and Pinnell last year was the one that manned X in 2021 during the, or excuse me, 2020 during the championship series, but now that move by getting Jeff Teat allows Eric Law to bump back to X and live life down there behind the cage, and Teat also gives them a lefty wing shooter following the trade of Ryan Brown. I know my boy Phil Rothermick was probably bummed about that trade that happened a few months ago, but gotta love the addition there of Jeff Teat to replace him within that Atlas offense. Now the Atlas as a whole, even outside of that number one pick, actually had a very solid draft and addressed a lot of different things. I think that you got that lefty attackman in Teat, obviously, but you also bulked up the midfield with guys that can play between the arcs, which is something that I talked a lot about during that draft preview show. I've also talked about it on past episodes when I've talked about this Atlas rebuild over these last few months. But you you really bulked up that midfield by taking a guy like Dox Aiken, who many had mocked to the Atlas in 2020 after they selected Ryan Conrad in 2019. He was one of those way too early mock draft type guys that a lot of experts had going to the Atlas last year. Obviously, he opted for that extra year of eligibility, So, but now the Atlas got him in 2021. They also then, a few rounds later went out and got Danny Logan probably one of the top two D mids in this draft class alongside Ryan Tarafenko who I believe was taken the pick after Logan and then they went out number 17 overall with their third round pick and got Peter Durth who Ryan Boyle actually mentioned started his career as an offensive player more so and has since transitioned to more of a defensive role which when you think about it is kind of opposite of what Brian Costabile did during his time at Notre Dame he started out more as a as a defensive mid and transitioned into more of an offensive kind of two-way weapon within that Notre Dame offense and now you you saw that last year in the championship series his ability to play between the arcs as well. So Ben Rubior wanted to get better between the arcs, as I mentioned. He now has Costabile, Joel Tinney, who I really hope, and I've said this about a thousand times now on the podcast, I really hope they get Joel Tinney back on offense. You definitely felt his his absence on offense during the championship series compared to what we saw from that Atlas offense in 2019. But they also have Jake Richard, who is a guy that isn't really known as as much of an offensive player in the midfield for the Atlas the first two years, but he is a guy that can 
push that transition game, can go from defense to offense on a ground ball or possibly on a clearing attempt, and he can get it down to the attack and let them do their thing. And now you add in guys like Danny Logan and uh, Peter Dirth, who can also do that same thing. They can get up and down the field for the Atlas. Now, a side note to this is that I do think that the picks of Danny Logan and Peter Dirth means that a guy like Kevin Unterstein will probably be one of the few cuts that the Atlas have to make prior to the season. He is, I believe, the oldest player listed on the Atlas roster now currently, according to the PLL website. But and and I, and I like Unterstein. I think he's a really good player. I think that the first two years he was one of their probably one of their top D mids if not top two with Jake Richards. So I do think it'll hurt to lose a guy like that, but I think it's one of those cases of addition by subtraction where now you give guys like Peter Durth and, and Logan the opportunity to get more playing time because of the absence of a guy like Kevin Unterstein. But when you go down towards the attack unit of this team now, their attack is going to be very deep. But the question here after last night's draft is, who comes out of the box? They already have Law basically sharpied in at X, and Teat gets the lefty wing. And Ryan Boyle loved the idea of Jake Carraway on the opposite wing. So you have Law, uh, Teat, and Carraway. And Dan Vaccaro is a guy that can play midi if the attack unit gets too crowded. Again, he's one of those versatile guys that Ben Rubior was talking about all off season. He wants guys that can can play multiple roles, can do various different things. You can kind of plug and play them in different spots and different scenarios, things like that. And a guy like Bacaro is one of those guys. And Chris Cloutier, if you remember back to last season, has the ability to come out of the box. He did so, I think, throughout the championship series because of the addition of a guy like Rob Pinnell into that attack unit. So... The last thing I'll say on Atlas is that I, I mentioned in last week's episode that the Atlas should take a faceoff guy with one of their last two picks. They had number 17 and number 26 overall. And I mentioned to Phil, because he loves Trevor Baptiste, I mentioned to him that I didn't think it made much sense to do it with one of those first four picks that they held in the top 11 of the draft. And they did end up going out and they selected Gerard Arceri out of Penn state number 26 overall to help out a guy like Trevor Baptiste on faceoffs, because I've mentioned it in the past, the Atlas in those first two years never really had a true secondary faceoff guy to Baptiste. So whenever he had to go out because he got penalized from the faceoff before you definitely noticed his absence on that ensuing face-off, and he's a guy that I think is one of the focal points of this team because he has the, the ability to win you, you know, 50-55% of his face-offs and give the ball to your offense and create some momentum for that offensive unit. So I think having a guy like Arceri behind him now gives you a legitimate one-two punch on the face-off, which we're starting to see in this league is becoming more and more important. 
So now that I've kind of gotten off my soapbox about the Atlas, because you guys know by now I'm an Atlas fan, so I'm going to talk about them probably more so than many of the other teams in the PLL. But I do want to go ahead and give some attention to the drafts that these other uh, seven clubs had. So I'll start with the Redwoods. The Redwoods addressed a really big need, probably one of the only true needs that this team had going into the draft by selecting TD Erlin with the number four overall pick. The Woods, if you remember back to the championship series, were absolutely atrocious statistically on faceoffs a year ago. And I think adding a guy like TD Erlin, the number one faceoff guy in this draft class, will definitely help them turn that around here in 2021. Now, the Water Dogs, I think, had a very nice draft and just an offseason in general because they traded away the number 11 pick to the Atlas as part of the Atlas's rebuild. But in return, they got Ryan Brown. Now, that's a really big piece to get back in a trade like that where all you had to do was give up a second rounder in this draft. And you go out and get Michael Sowers number two overall, and then you traded a third rounder in the draft from Monday night to the Archers for defenseman Eli Gobrecht. So they quietly had probably one of the more solid off seasons just based upon those couple of moves. Now the chaos, Andy Towers, again, another guy that quietly put together a solid, solid draft. But I think it could also have some future implications here, too, because he got Mac O'Keefe number six overall. And I think anytime you add the NCAA's all time goal scorer, it never hurts unless you're the opposing defense in that case. But Towers then took Kyle Gallagher at faceoff to support Austin Henningsen after they lost Tommy Kelly to the Cannons during the expansion draft. And he followed that up. By taking a bit of a gamble in the third round, he took Jared Bernhardt there. If you remember back to the 2020 college draft, he took Jeff Teat in that second and final round uh, in 2020. And obviously Teat opted to go back to Cornell for his last year. So he didn't retain the rights to him. And now obviously he winds up with the Atlas. So he did take a bit of a gamble again this year by taking Jared Bernhardt, but I'd say it's a pretty good gamble to take, especially in a third round pick, no less. So it's important to note here that per the PLL during the draft last night, they, they mentioned that if somebody like the Chaos made a pick like that, they would have the rights to Bernhardt for two years. Now, Bernhardt wants to play football in the fall, but if he doesn't pursue the NFL after that, the Chaos should, in theory, keep his rights for the 2022 season. So if it works out that way, this is the scary part about what Andy Towers was able to do last night. If it works out that way, the Chaos will have an offense that features Mac O'Keefe, Jared Bernhardt, and Tanner Cook to build around for the future. Now, that is a scary good offense to picture in 2022 and beyond. Now, we get to the Whips, and the Whips, as we all know, are two-time defending champions. And at this point, all I can really say is just stop it. I mean, at this point, it's really unfair what they've been able to do, what Jim Stagnita has been able to do each and every offseason, the way he's been able to reshape this roster and retool every offseason, especially with these expansion drafts going on. 
They lose a guy like Ty Warner because he opts to go to med school. Obviously, you can't fault him for that. That's a big step in a person's life to go and do something like that. So obviously, respect to him. But you lose probably one of the best D-mids in the game in Ty Warner, and you replace him with one of the best D-mids in the MLL from last season in Charlie Hayes in the entry draft, and then their offense already featured a guy like Zed Williams, Matt Rambo, Brad Smith, etc., etc., and now you add in a couple guys in Ryan Tierney and Connor Kirst from the college draft. I mean, this offense is going to be very fun to watch for a very long time. Plus, when you think about it, the Whipsnakes held on to their entire starting defense from 2020 during that expansion draft just a few months ago. So all I can say from what Jim Stagnit has been able to do with this team and the roster that he has now assembled is RIP to the other seven clubs in 2021 because it is going to be an absolute uphill battle if anybody, if any of those other seven teams want to knock off the whip snakes in 2021. Do I think somebody can do it? Yes. Do I think it's going to be ridiculously difficult to do so? Absolutely. And I think if I get guys like Noah and Phil and Jordan back on the show here soon, I'm sure they would tell you the exact same thing. Now we move on to the Cannons, and they only had two picks in the draft that night, but they selected one of the top defensemen in the draft class in Jack Kilty out of Notre Dame, a guy that Jordan mentioned on that preview show that he was a guy that Jordan was really high on. And Kielty will slide into a defense that already features Curtis Corley, Nick Pulver, and Reese Eddy, all the while being mentored by one of the best to ever do it in Brody Merrill. So that's going to be a really good, solid, tough defense to match up with in the Cannons. Now the Archers and Chris Bates, as we have just a couple more teams to get through here on taking the field with Stevie Mack, the Archers... They the pick of Jared Connors at number five was a really solid option, I think, as an LSM to back up Scott Ratliff and give you a little more flexibility of a little more moving pieces, if you will, to that defense. And then you follow it up by going and getting Trey LeClaire and Jeff Trainer, giving you some offensive flexibility a little bit, giving you a little more depth in that midfield to pair with a guy like Tom Schreiber. And we all know how ridiculously fun Tom Schreiber is to watch while also benefiting from the feeding ability of a guy like Grant Amon at X. Now, keep in mind here that this offense also has guys like Will Manny, Marcus Holman, Connor Fields, all at their disposal. Again, this is this is a team in the Archers who offensively are going to be very, very fun to watch. And I think that that can be said about most of these teams now as we are just about a month away from starting this season. A lot of these offenses, there's going to be a lot of goals to be scored here in 2021. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch how some of these offenses play this summer. And finally, we come to the Chrome. The Chrome shook up the draft a bit, Tim Sudan did, by selecting JT Giles Harris with their first round pick since Tom Rigney, he said, will likely miss time this summer for military service. Obviously, thank you to Tom Rigney for his service. But then they go out and get Ryan Tarafanko, as I mentioned, that pick after the Atlas when they took Danny Logan. So they go out and get Ryan Tarafanko, who is seen as this draft's top 
D-mid and was selected, as I said, one pick after Danny Logan. And Tarafanko will go, I think, really well with guys like Will Hawes and John Rannigan working in some shifts as a defensive mid. But also those three guys can also fit sort of that Ben Rubior style where they're going to play between the arcs. They're going to get up and down the field. They're going to make plays at both ends. So I think the Chrome had a really solid draft as well. And I think that out of these eight teams, you'd be hard pressed to find a team. Maybe you could argue the cannons because they only had those two picks, but you'd be hard pressed to find a team that actually didn't come away with some sort of positives from Monday night's PLL college draft. But that'll do it for this episode of Taking the Field with Stevie Mac. Make sure to like, comment, and share on this post. Spread it wide, guys. I'll be sharing it all over social media. At Stevie Mac Media on Twitter is my Twitter Twitter handle. Excuse me. But like, comment, and share. Also, let me know what you think about the draft, who you think had the best draft overall, maybe who you think didn't so much. But that'll do it for me, guys. I'll talk to you later.